Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I continue my conversation with Ian discussing the musical year of 1991 into 1992, specifically the chart week, Billboard's chart week, January 11th, 1992, 30 years ago. Hard to believe it's a whole 30 years ago. In which Nirvana's album, Nevermind, knocked Michael Jackson's Dangerous album out of the number one spot and this transitional period in music at the time. On the soundtrack you're hearing, Moby, one of his first big breakthrough songs, Go, which is a remix of the Twin Peaks soundtrack, the David Lynch Twin Peaks show. And it kind of intersects with a bunch of things we touch here only briefly, the emergence of house music, another very big genre in 1991 that we barely touch on here, unfortunately, in this conversation. It's a very important year. Of course, Moby became an important artist in this decade of the 90s. And another thing it intersects with is our conversation of how, of what a big deal it used to be. Musicians and soundtracks used to see a lot of all-star soundtracks, even for movies that weren't that successful, such as Judgment Night, which we talk about briefly in this episode. And it used to be a big deal to get these collaborations from these big artists, especially cross-genre artists at the time. Another fun subgenre that emerged in this time period and kind of flamed out by the early 2000s, I would say. Something they should think about bringing back, by the way. So to get all of this content, please do subscribe to us so you know when new episodes become available. You've also noticed, if you're following this podcast, that we have been just finished recapping Dexter New Blood. Very disappointing finale for that show. And the more successful and also very popular Yellow Jackets show, both shows on Showtime that just wrapped up recently. And Sona and I will be discussing the new season of Ozark this week, along with a preview of our next binge watch, The After Party on Apple TV. Also, you've probably seen the review for Scream. Very fun, new Scream sequel, if you are a fan of that. And I have a review in this same feed. If you're new to the podcast or looking for more musical content, check this feed for music episodes pertaining to 1971, the year that music changed everything, where we discuss the Apple Plus documentary, very good Apple Plus documentary about the year of 1971, that extremely influential music that came out that year. And Ian and I play some of our favorite tracks from that time period. Two long episodes with lots of music in it. Another two episode series we had regarding the career of Prince. And then another two for episode where we played covers for each other. We both are big fans of covers and samples since it kind of reveals artists' influences and some music history all at the same time. Also, you can find an episode in there pertaining to Chris Cornell, his career. So lots of music content in there as well. Hope you find something you like. And stay tuned at the end of this episode to find out what the next conversation Ian and I will be having in our next music episode. So stay tuned for all of that, and I'll talk to you again at the end of the episode. intended to mention that even though this is kind of groundbreaking at this moment at the end of 91 into 92 where we're seeing on the album charts things have fundamentally changed 
on the singles chart, things have not changed that much at all. If you look at the singles chart, it really does look like it's 1989 or 1988. Things have not changed drastically. Yeah. Because Billboard did not change the way they calculated their their uh, singles information. But for example, all of a sudden, because the album sales went through the roof, you started seeing a lot of country radio stations and alternative radio stations. Once again, it's this, you know, chicken and egg situation where, you know, because there's a trend, there's more radio and because there's more radio, it reinforces the sales. And now the singles jump up the charts too, because there's a place where someone will actually spin that record. Right. So finally. Yeah. But it, it hasn't happened here yet. And two artists that I wanted to throw into the alternative was already there that I totally forgot was nine inch nails that had pretty hate machine had been floating around for years, basically, and become, a multi-platinum record. And then, of course, they were about to put out a very influential record. And a band that I really liked, by the way, at the time, which is already well-established, was Ministry. Ministry was already very successful, but it's kind of surprising when I looked at the release dates on those albums. I'm mm. like, that record came out in the 80s? It's, you know, in 88, 89. They were already, like, platinum-selling... You know, that was weird. It's, it wasn't metal. It wasn't Depeche Mode. It was, you know, its own thing. Yeah, no, that was interesting. I noticed that, especially um, it jumped to mind with uh, Pretty Hate Machine. I looked into that. I was like, wow, okay, that was in 89. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it really percolated through word of mouth. Before we get to playing any music, I want to get any kind of additional thesis statements that you wanted to call out. I think uh, adult contemporary kind of took a step back you have other new genres kind of percolating on the u.s charts more of like a euro dance mm -hmm. started to cross over um into here even um you know kind of like house music yep. stuff became a little bit more mainstream even within rock i also noticed you know there were some kind of a resurgence of almost a classic rock sound mm-hmm so you have the debut album by the Black Crows, uh, Shake Your Money Maker. They were at 64 and climbing, January 11th, 92. You also had um, a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers yep. record there as well. So you have almost these, a rootsier style of rock and roll, I guess you could say. What I found interesting about Tom Petty at, at this period, I, I'm really curious about these artists that kind of bridge this gap. For example, some of the alternative acts that I mentioned that had kind of established themselves in the early 80s were going to peak and flame out. Like, you know, Depeche Mode had just had a massive success and they never had that success again. You know, The Cure had kind of established, you know, goth and uh, maybe even emo as they, they go, that goth sound got softened for radio play. It kind of became a template for these, um, you know, emo bands in the future. But at the same time, they're also peaking, but now going to popularity-wise uh, fade out. The 90s came in and basically says, we're going to throw away everything that came before. Uh, adult Contemporary, Mariah Carey's still massively successful. You have Celine Dion is about to have massive success. So it's not like that music didn't exist in the 90s, it, but, but whoever 
felt like the 80s. It was like, we don't want those people anymore. <laughs> We're throwing them out. Baby with the bathwater. And I find it interesting, those artists that did bridge the gap. And Tom Petty is a perfect example of this. Somebody who had been consistently successful, not a huge pop star, but you know, selling records and had his fan base through the 70s, like late 70s on. And now here he is at the end, you know, at the end of the 80s, early 90s, having like the most, the biggest success of his career. It's just like, where did this come from? You know, so, and, uh, and he becomes like a massive hit maker for like the next decade as well. For some of that stuff, you know, you have the, yeah, the adult contemporary, um, which to me includes like Brian Adams as much yes. as the claim to be a rock star. Yeah. I'm not buying that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Richard Marks and Michael yes. Bolton's of the world. Yep really fading from the the top of the charts although um you know brian adams arguably his biggest song and a number one hit um right. for uh his contribution to the famed kevin costner robin hood adaptation really kind of got uh pushed to the background someone uh, else to throw into that easy listening camp by the way who kind of faded out here finally <laughs> after having a quite an interesting career we, we've already mentioned him Rod Stewart, who had Rhythm of My Heart this year, and his album was a pretty big hit. Someone whose career had started off so promisingly. When I think about the worst trends of the 80s, his output then really uh, kind of uh, exemplifies that. Yeah. You know, ironically enough, or, or maybe not, he uh, did have like a rough 90s. But then he reinvented himself too. He like started doing like those standards albums, which were all very successful. So it's like, you know, when the 2000 rolled around, there was a lot of nostalgia for that kind of music, by the way. There seemed to be a lot of uh, appetite for that kind of old timey music. And he's like, and he rode that bandwagon. He's ridden so many bandwagons throughout his career. You know, it's also kind of interesting. I think with that fragmentation of audience and, you know, you talk about um, like REM and yeah. how they were really came up through the 80s basically as like a college radio yep and that was essentially um college radio i think morphed into what alternative radio uh, alternative right. radio became yeah essentially um but it's kind of like it's a linear thing in a lot of ways so yeah it's a really interesting kind of changing of the guard nirvana uh coming yep. in and uh, knocking michael jackson off of the top of the charts um right symbolically it really right. does kind of capture kind of the the birth of the 90s um, right exactly maybe just symbolic purely and maybe it's just accounting like you know maybe release dates have been slightly shuffled or something this moment wouldn't have happened but it's undeniable that you know you look at um summer of 1992 and you compare that to summer of 1991 on the charts and all of a sudden you see like the entire top 10 is like seattle bands the red hot chili peppers album which had at this point maybe gone gold he eventually sells like 7 million copies and uh, and all these other artists, by the way, like with these alternative um, radio stations popping up all over the place, all of a sudden Jane's Addictions album is selling again. Another kind of invisible genre that I had forgotten about, soundtrack albums were such a big deal. For example, Susie and the Banshees has a song on the Batman sequel album, and it's a big hit this year. It's like the first time she actually ends up on the radio. And you have the uh, rap crossover album, uh, Judgment Night soundtrack, where you have like Sonic Youth performing with Cypress Hill. Yeah. 
And you have the Anthrax performing with Public Enemy basically was this interesting moment where this is before the whole rap rock uh, genre in, is invented. But it's, and it's, I feel like now that's, that doesn't kind of happen. Shout out this podcast. They're really interesting. It's called Sound Tracker. Mm -hmm. And it basically goes through movie soundtracks. And there is really in the early 2000s is when that whole thing starts to die. Yeah. But uh, an interesting soundtrack also that charted this year fairly high um, were the soundtrack for the Commitments movie. Mm, right. Uh, you know, which is, again, there's still there's still room for nostalgia on all the charts, you know, yeah. and, uh, the, you know, cover versions of songs commitments um record or evidence of that uh definitely blast for the past for me because i remember when that movie came out and seeing it in a movie theater and it was like an art house movie like it did not it crossed over somewhat but it didn't it wasn't a blockbuster or something one of those movies that even though it only made a few million dollars at the box office and was mostly a uh, word of mouth hit that the album which didn't have any radio airplay obviously based on the kind of music it was just kept selling and selling. It eventually sold, I think, well over a million copies, which doesn't sound like that much maybe now. But it was like shocking that this like a soundtrack to a pretty small film was um, was selling so much. Another thing, um, more the emergence of uh, hip hop, a broader yeah. spectrum of hip hop. Yep. Previously, uh, in the years leading up to this, a couple, I believe the um, you know Walk This Way, Run DMC, Aerosmith mm -hmm. crossover did chart and was kind of, it, it seems more well-known now than I think it was. Um, and the Beastie Boys, the Beastie Boys were massive. And yeah, and the Beastie Boys, but- And LL Cool J, I mean, Def Jam was really, uh, and Public Enemy on them as well, but like Def Jam was really like the rap record label at the time. I speak to like, this is like, these are my high school years, <laughs> by the way, but you're yeah. right. It's like, you know, that like Rick Rubin and- um, uh, Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons you know took this which was pretty underground like you mentioned really at the time there was really nobody making trying to get these records on the radio def jam really put these um artists out there and then of course it became more and more i mean but there were others like you know you started seeing whether it was a uh, tone loke with uh you know the early hits he had that was the whole pop rap movement which of course culminated you know basically like so many things they build the perfect mc hammer machine with vanilla ice hot on his tail we've perfected it we have a like a 10 million record and that like basically kills that whole entire genre at that point it's just like okay this genre of music is for babies so nobody wants to listen to it anymore and then of course yeah. this is like the history of music right it just kind of recycles so yeah uh, very interesting time and you also have the british music scene at the time was bleeding over a little bit more into the u.s as well with songs uh like unbelievable by emf yeah. you're unbelievable <laughs> Jesus Jones is another one. Uh, you have Seal's debut yeah. uh, record coming out as well.
that's more kind of again like some house or more rave kind of based music with a little bit more dance um, flavor to it in a lot of ways just very very interesting the the variety you kind of see going through that chart so i'm going to take quite a, a divergence from the last few songs and this is hit number one i think in uh, 91 from an artist who had been dominating uh, the charts but for a pretty underground genre of music which is interesting because when you looked at the raw numbers it would seem that you know some of these artists which should have more crossover pop appeal and the artist i'm talking about is amy grant wow really, this is a quite a pivot my friend <laughs> really came, yeah yeah and um so she really um had been consistently making hits for Christian rock radio, which was not something that you'd see on the Billboard Top 200, right? And then she kind of pivoted away the more overt um, Christian rock uh, lyrics and themes, some more mainstream focused pop uh, records. So this is her number one hit, Baby Baby from Heart in Motion. Yeah, so that's interesting artist that you like you said she came from or I mean just Christian pop background I should say. But yeah, that is anathema to what I would have listened to at the time by the way. And not to disparage by the way, it gives me nice memories of that time in my life uh, honestly. But uh it also it is kind of if anything it's uh what we were discussing before catering completely to that 80s easy listening radio and uh and it's maybe the end of that moment in time as well so it's like kind of speaks to that other side of uh, the coin here at this year exactly um that's kind of why i threw it on there it wasn't anything and i do get the nostalgia hit from hearing it she can she has a great voice though she can sing yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know what like i said i actually don't mind that song i'll listen to it now yeah two little fun facts or observations i had about that sure. um I like how she calls out she's going to sing the chorus on the second time around. She literally says, I'd like to sing you a chorus, and then gets right, gets right to it. And two, kind of unsurprisingly, coming from a Christian pop background, one of her hurdles I, as a songwriter was, you know, romantic or, you know, love, basically. And this baby baby is actually written about her baby daughter. So okay. you can kind of interpret the lyrics you know, as a love song, you know, t between adults. But then there are certain tells. And she said, I was like, had writer's block, but was sitting with my daughter, barely a toddler, started writing the lyrics. Very wholesome. It's a, it's a very wholesome story from you there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but corny, you know what I mean? Like, that's... I will rise to the challenge and segue from there. 
with an artist, which was also a crossover artist, also female, who also relatively late in her career, actually pretty late in her career, had a huge renaissance of success. And I'm talking about Bonnie Raitt. One of the strangest stories of this, you know, mid-career, late-career resurgence where she has multiple back-to-back-to-back multi-platinum albums. She has top 10 hit songs. I'm like, where did this come from? It's an incredible, phenomenal streak she has, but it's pretty much at the end here. But nonetheless, the song I'm going to pick is, you know, even at the time, you know, not my kind of music, by the way, but this is a great song. I think it's a song that holds up. I think people still do listen to this song, by the way, so it's probably not going to be as rare as... Honestly, Baby Baby, very fun, effervescent song. I don't think it gets a lot of spins on radio nowadays, but this song, I think, is still perennial. Uh, this is a beautiful song and a really well-written song and a very sad song, and it's um, I Can't Make You Love Me. Turn down the lights Turn down the bed Turn down these voices Inside my head Lay down with me Tell me no lies Just hold me close Don't patronize Don't patronize me Cause I can't cool you know that song uh i've heard it i don't i wouldn't say that i've i haven't listened to that whole record you know the one that um stood out was the you know let's give them something to talk about that's on the same record right exactly yeah same record yeah there's a huge Um, record by her by for her by the way that's another persevering artist you know yeah um one of the best slide guitarists out there too her earlier stuff displays that a little bit more Great voice, heartfelt and mellow, and you know that's adult contemporary stuff. Yeah, she's. This is a country song. I mean, the the or the writers are country writers, and she obviously has a huge country uh, element to her persona and to her to her style. And Bruce yeah. Hornsby played the piano. Piano, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And listening to this, I haven't heard this song in a very long time, and it's funny that if I was going to criticize it now, and this is my criticism of this time period in general is that in my recollection of this her the song itself has more rawness to it than it does here listening to it it's a little too pristine and this is my complaint with the 80s in general it was like you know recording equipment got better and better and better to the point where like everything's like so clean and produced that it has no warmth it's like give me back the phil Spector days of people you know, bleeding, banging the piano in and the, all the sounds bleeding into each other. And, the you know, like the, the whole 
studio ringing like a bell like you know that that's yeah. you know I, I like hearing that you know and, and i feel like that's so missing in the 80s in, in production in general that's the kind of double-edged sword with any with technology right, right. because you get the new oh there's better separation on this it's going to sound so clean now but you you know and it's everyone's natural inclination to kind of turn it all the way up you know when you have those types of things coming in that's how you get everything completely on the grid and mechanized and so separated and hermetically sealed and it's just like this shiny kind of ugh. <laughs> right exactly some instances i think that's also what we're kind of looking at in in a lot of pop today which today. Again, or yeah. i think you know 20 30 year cycle seems like it holds up pretty well um when you look at it and i think and that's directly it's funny to hear the amy grant record and even this one which you know i think is a classic song but then compare it to Nirvana is that that's what people liked, right? It's just like they, you hear the noise, you hear the feedback, you hear stuff breaking, you hear people not playing all the notes properly. And they're like, great. <laughs> like, I don't want it to be pristine. right? So We recognize the human element in things. You can tell, you know, it's hard to just describe it. There's a different feeling, you know, when there's more live instrumentation or more imperfections that, give it give stuff a little bit more character um that's a good segue into my next track because uh boys to men actually recorded a cover of this of that bonnie Raitt song i can't oh, really love me um just in in uh, back in 2009 in 1992 uh bonnie was 20 something years into her career at that point yeah. and that was the year that Boys to Men debuted. They had a couple other singles off this record that were more ballads. This one, again, massive influence. Uh, the video of it was in heavy rotation. The cool thing was, too, you had cameos from Belle Biv DeVoe and another bad creation. I think there's another group in there, too. Yeah, that was part of the video appeal, too. I was like, oh, man, they're all in this super team. <laughs> but uh, here's uh, Boys to Men with Motown Philly. Yo fellas, y'all ready to do this? Yeah, Yo, what's, what's up, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Boys, I'm in an effect, yeah, and it's about time. Yo, let's rip this up. Boys, I'm in. Boys, I'm in. Boys, I'm in. too hard not too soft exactly that's their brand <laughs> stylistically you can see kanye and like tyler the creator a little later on just basically copping this whole look right you know they had like the college sweaters going on saddleback shoes <laughs> like um <laughs> you know khaki shorts the whole thing 
which is really kind of like college dropout, you know, the backpack uh, version of Kanye. But they're great, man. Like, that was um, between them. They were like the family, more family-friendly male uh, R&B vocal group. And then you had Jodeci kind of mm-hmm. peaking around the same time. They were the more adult New Jack swing of R&B. It went from that to more the boy band, straight up pop uh, formulation. And then at this point, that whole formula is now, I think most prominent, like K-pop music. Yep. Um, And there's really no popular black R&B soul vocal group that's on the top of the, the charts. Maybe they'll bring it back. I don't know if you know that, but there was a documentary I saw on TV, or maybe it was on YouTube. Some of these people are the actual performers of these bands in the the 90s. And some of them are like songwriters and producers from back in that day. And like you said, they're all in Korea now making these uh, K-pop artists. So it literally is the same people who were back back in the day. It's It's, strange. It's crazy. Yeah, it's really, but it's and there's no home for them here, right? It's so weird, and obviously people want to hear it. It's hugely popular around the world. So predecessor of that was the Orlando boy band factory, you know, NSYNC and uh, and the like. I think maybe the new kids killed everything. Yeah, that's. I think that's what happens, right? You get like a certain <laughs> stink of something on it, and then everybody runs away. It's like you know, it's that chicken egg thing again. It's like something gets reinforced, and then business decisions are made around it. And then to your point about K-pop being so huge here in the U.S. now, already huge overseas and now has crossed over fully into the U.S., maybe you will see. Why not? It's the same producers and songwriters from back then. There's no reason they can't go and like cultivate a culture of it here and have a, a, an all-star artist here. Boys to Men, they had a long career yeah. with consistency throughout. Right. But um, their debut, that was like one of the better debut albums i think you know a huge hit yeah for sure solid new jack swing (laughs) that's right right so i will segue from another alternative early prototypical alternative rap band unfortunately a very small time in the limelight but it's black sheep i think people (laughs) quote this song without knowing the actual song actually i just remembered that you know they actually use this at in the the new the spider-verse movie the first spider-verse movie where miles morales is a writing the graffiti he's tagging up for the first time and uh, this is actually playing the background so i think people know this segment of the song without even knowing what they're listening to but it's black sheep the choice is yours You are ripped this head 
pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Back Come on. on the scene, crispy and clean. You Come can on. try, but then why? Cause you can't intervene. Come on. We be the outcast, down for the settle. Won't play rock, won't play the pebble. Come on. Open the door, you best believe we're sliding through it swiftly. Niftily, we can make Come it on. hip to be. Classic. You know, very jazz influenced, obviously, but uh, you know, and that that there was like a moment there where there were a lot of these kind of jazz influenced um, R and B uh, or R and B too, but also this hip hop acts, and uh, and of course, like you said, this all kind of now there's no more like this is these guys are R and B influenced, these guys are you know rock influenced. It's just like it's all in one big stew nowadays, which is which is good, but like you said, it kind of gets to a point where it doesn't feel like there's like a specific movement pushing the music forward anymore. It's it's all homogenized into to into a very complex <laughs> group of influences but it's everybody's cool with everything which is good yeah. <laughs> kumbaya everybody kumbaya but it's yeah. like I, I i feel like you were saying before like where is that new genre that's bursting through which kind of seemed to happen every 10 or 15 years and it's not happening recently anyway. yeah it's it's kind of interesting um but yeah that that's a great i remember that uh track definitely um one of my uh i have a cousin uh katie who's i believe like 16 years older than me she got me into hip-hop so yeah public enemy krs1 just ice das effects was actually the das oh, yeah, effects of course yeah. das effects and they're 92 that was the first uh straight from the sewer i think um that was the first cd i bought Wow. With my own money. <laughs> Just nine, nine or ten, I guess. Another great debut record. We were talking about how uh, Boys to Men's first record came out this uh, in this album cycle as well. Naughty by Nature. And mm. this song, um, you know, OPP was kind of like a risque anthem. Again, all their choruses are pretty much anthemic and they kind of can overshadow some of the lyrical content. To me, this one, and again, uh, the video is pretty awesome. Um, it's the song, Everything's Gonna Be All Right, mm. which you know, they interpolate um, uh, the Bob Marley line. But the video is uh, amazing, and it's a deep subject matter, too. So. Why did I have to live a life for such a bad one? Why when I was a kid and played, I was a sad one? And always wanted to live like this a fat one. rough i remember that song that was a big hit actually at the time yeah not as big as opp of course but uh 
No, I think there's less appetite for this. <laughs> again, but again, though, like, what a crazy, like, the instrumental, like, the music sounds more hopeful than, than what the lyrics are really depicting. And I think even at the time it was interpreted like this says, like I said, it was a popular song. I think people interpreted it as saying that that they didn't see the irony in it, right? They were seeing that, you know, he's saying all these bad things and it's like, everything's going to be all right. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, just keep your chin up. And I'm like, that's not the interpretation at all. He says, how am I going to make it? I'm not. That's how. <laughs> right? yeah. So it's like, everything's going to be all right. It's supposed to be a like ironic thing that people say to each other, which is BS, right? It's not true. Right? So. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's nuts. The, the hookiness of it yeah that piano loop it tricks you right spoons full of sugar make the medicine go down type of right. thing right i couldn't figure out what i want to play out on whether i want to do tom petty i was thinking about doing into the great ride open which i love that song i love the one of his best storytelling songs yeah but the song i'm going to exit on because for me it was a revelation that this is how early this happens is off of kerplunk the green day album that came out in december of 1991 this song is probably <laughs> still listen to a lot of people nowadays because uh, green day has become like such a pop music of this generation it's welcome to paradise from kerplunk which of course was remastered later and re-released this is the sound of the band that is going to basically wipe away all of these bands on the chart right now all these alternative acts will be wiped away by green day and then all the pop uh, punk that will come later but i do like this song this is maybe my favorite green day song so it's uh, Welcome to Paradise, and it's the sound of what is com to come. These, This is, you know, this little EP that drops in that December of 1991. These are the guys that are going to destroy <laughs> all of these alternative acts, you know, in the yeah. next six or seven years. <laughs> Only to be conquered by Fred Durst and Jonathan <laughs> Davis. Oh, you know what? Green Day outl outlived those guys. So it's like, uh, yeah, they ended up lapping them, I guess. Exactly. They, they definitely, you're right. Like, if there was a moment there where like new metal wiped out that stuff, but that stuff all died and people were still listening to, uh, you know, Green Day after all that. So. Yeah. <laughs> The future was wide open. 
so that was the end of the conversation. And I couldn't resist. I had to drop this Tom Petty song in here. One of my favorite Tom Petty songs. And as we briefly touched on in this conversation as well, I find him very interesting to see him having survived the 70s, really emerging just as punk and disco are peaking. And in some ways, he tried to position himself almost as a post-punk artist early on and really kind of drifted into more Americana or even more traditional rock and roll. And ironically, after being kind of like a considered almost a punk early in his career, he had survived the 80s having solid hits, never really breaking out in some significant way. And then in the late 80s, early 90s really had a run of massive successes. And then of course that Greatest Hits package has become such a huge hit that those songs, even those early ones, have become standards in America. And another unfortunate, so many of these stories, unfortunately seems like in these conversations, whenever I have them, whether we're talking about Prince or Chris Cornell or Amy Winehouse or any of these artists that unfortunately come up oftentimes another unfortunate death, uh, drug-related, once again. But here is one of my favorite songs of that time. In my next conversation with Ian, we can't get away from these unfortunately young deaths, oh, a group that I am not that familiar with. I obviously knew I grew up in this time period, so I knew of these folks from their hits and uh, a little bit about their biographies, but very little. But Ian, being younger than me, this was a much more formative band for him, and it's Sublime. So that will be our next conversation. He will be introducing me to Sublime. And like I mentioned, I know off the top of my head, five or six songs, big songs. I even like a few of them very much. That big album of theirs, I don't think I've ever listened to it all the way through. Relatively new to me, and I'm uh, always curious about whether the band stands the test of time or not, a formative band that really kind of initiates your interest in music in general. So there's always interesting conversation around that, and that will be the next conversation I'll be having with Ian. As I mentioned before, we'll be recapping The After Party on Apple TV, and in this most recent week, since The After Party is starting on the 28th, Sona and I will be talking about the new season of Ozark, which is dropping this week on Netflix. So stay tuned for all of that. Subscribe so you know when that's available. And uh, as always, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify for listening to us on Spotify. And please do recommend us to your friends and family. It's how we grow our audience. So thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Into the